Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite powered by a reliable deep linking engine lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appslyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. I think what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years, as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zeloff, VP of Marketing at IronSource. Hello, welcome to Twig 160. Uh, We are your hosts today uh, without Miska. It feels it feels very weird. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, Mis- Miska <laughs> left. Don't the- have, what do we do without the punching bag? Like without him <laughs> <Yeah>. to. <laughs> yeah, we, he doesn't need to be here to talk trash, dude. I'm I'm all about that, dude. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. He doesn't need to be here to defend himself. He doesn't do a good job defending himself anyway. Um, but he's left us rudderless. We have uh, we are basically going to wing this a little bit. Uh, but uh, he's out boondoggling in Europe somewhere. With what and and I quote, this is what he says to me: one of those CEO only events, right? Like it's so exclusive that only Mishka could get <laughs> participate in this thing. <laughs> but anyway, um, good for him. I, he says that there are a lot of fans of, of Mr. Crest, which I I appreciate out there. And uh, but um, well, anyway, it'll give us a chance to just talk some trash about Mishka a little bit in context. Let's hope. So- well, so just a so Misa's at Slush, which oh, okay. I'm, I was surprised. So they only announced that like a few months ago. You know, usually they're they're talking about it like they like drip feed you know um, teaser content for it for like a like nine months out. But they only announced it like three or four months ago, and I was kind of shocked that they were even holding it. But they sold out. They sold out a ticket. So I, m- I imagine it's uh this is this is my first time ever missing missing Slush. I think except for like the first two. Um, where it was just tiny. It was like a one day, you know, afternoon kind of thing. This is my first time ever missing slush. And it's the first time not having a mobile dev memo party in like five years. Wow. Sad day. But, but what, what was always the big deal with slush? I went twice. I would not say that it was my favorite concert or uh, conference. Well, so slush, slush used to be like, so it was founded by um, Peter Westerbacher, which he was one of the founders anyway. But that's what he that's what he says. I don't I mean I I imagine he played a part in the founding of it, but I don't know if he was a founder. Um anyway, um but it was it was it was kind of like 
uh, a celebration of the Nordic startup startup ecosystem with like a particular focus on gaming. Um, and it just evolved into this kind of really uh, broad based like tech adjacent conference where you'd get like stages sponsored by Oracle and Salesforce, you know what I mean? And like, you'd have the, you know, some prints of some countries giving a talk and like, you know, you, it, so it was, it, it, it became like kind of generic, but it like every VC in Europe attends. And so it's just a really great place to fundraise. Uh, I was helping a company fundraise um, a couple of years ago at slush. And like, I lined up like, 10 meetings just back to back to back to back to back just in the in the um hotel lobby of the uh, uh, of the hotel that's adjacent to the uh, convention center so i mean it's just, it's a it's a i don't know it's kind of like a, almost like a web summit now it's it's so broad that you're not going to go there for any kind of meaningful content um but it's a great place to network and it's really fun although i mean helsinki in the winter just is nasty it's just like the grossest weather oh, yeah we raced through slush what was that like two, three years ago? Um, so like, obviously it's amazing for connecting to VCs. But. Okay. I don't know. The first update I saw was that Star Citizen raised uh, a total of a $400 million in the biggest Ponzi gaming scheme ever. Um, does anybody actually play this game? Does anyone know anything about this game? I, I would really like more information, but uh, it is unbelievable that this game has raised this much money and is still not even close to being released, according to the article. Anyway, um, have you ever tried this thing, Adam? No. Are they just doing a demo for it now? Is this the the game that has like Mark Hamill in it and like it will yeah, never yeah, yeah. release? <laughs> yeah. it, it was an old guy from uh, X Wing days, like the EA guy who was kind of a buffoon back then. <laughs> now he's raising $400 million. So I don't know. Um, that was an amazing game, by the way, for the record. But um, anyway, I don't are know. They, what are they is. pivoting to NFTs or how did they get, no. they get so much money? Well, they, they, you know, in some ways, they're kind of the, the uh, early NFTs in which you're basically buying, you know, uh, ships and, and real estate and stuff in this virtual world, right? But you're pre-buying it before the game even releases. So there's a requirement of a leap of faith that they can actually execute against a game of this scale and scope, right? Um, you know, a huge MMO. So, I mean, that's, I don't really know, again, I don't know much, too much about it, but I'd love to hear anybody that has like, kind of like uh, personal insights on playing this game and actually investing in it. I just, I'm not, do not have the time nor the <laughs> interest in doing so. Um, the second one is uh, Epic uh, acquires the remnants of rock band developer Harmonix. What a long, tumultuous story this was. Uh, Harmonix was a bunch of people from EA went over there uh, when they founded it uh, and, and friends. And they basically peaked in 2008 with Rock Band 2, I think. I think that was kind of their their pinnacle because I, since the Rock Band 3 kind of fell and then uh, they've been kind of meandering around with other things. You know, Dance Central had some success with Xbox Connect over the years, but Rock Band 4 just completely bombed in 2015. So, you know, and they, and then they continue to make more and more games, you know, music-related games for Switch and iOS and Android, Oculus, etc. But for the most part, I don't think they really found much success uh, since the 2008 
Um, but I'm glad they found a home, and I imagine you know Epic will leverage them in some way with their quote-unquote metaverse stuff uh, next year, potentially. Um, it sounds like they're trying to leverage them to build music-based mini games within Fortnite. So like this whole acquisition cost is all attributed to just live content for Fortnite, which is kind of crazy. It is crazy, but you know, hopefully it, they'll do a little bit more than that. But you know, I don't know. It's all part of what is to come for Epic, which I'm hearing is really good things um, next year. So we will see. You know, building competitors to Roblox, etc. Um, you know, you I mean, that, po- why do you think the game? I mean, that that game was ubiquitous. I mean, everyone was playing that game. It just they couldn't they couldn't manage the the sort of like sequel revenue process very well. Oh, with Rock Band? Yeah. Oh my God, dude! How long do you? How long podcast do we have? But I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, like you ran out of music, right? You ran out of iconic music to buy or play, right? And and the innovation didn't really materialize as much. So you know, you added the drums and keyboard, etc. But that didn't bring additional people in the audience to the audience. And I think a lot of these type of peripheral stuff is so challenging because. It, it, it it's a limited what's the right word it's a limited long-term appeal people get burnt out on it right um and for the same content over and over again and and i guess what you're asking is they really did never feel figure out the live content stuff i think they gave away so much music um in the games themselves that building a live content piece and that kind of technology really didn't exist back then either you know frankly like but didn't they have that like massive library of songs that you could buy? Like each song was like five bucks. So if you liked a certain Red Hot Chili Peppers song or something, you could buy it, add it to the to Rock Band. I wonder how much like how much live revenue did they actually capture from that? They they didn't. I don't know it didn't take off the way they 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 tried to build it. So um, no, it wasn't it wasn't as compelling. I think people, I think it was kind of more of a fad than it was like a trend, um, and that's what the data suggested. Um, similar to many, many things in this industry, (laughs) but yeah, I don't know. You know, and then I think the market went more core, you know, once the Wii and the PS2 era was over, I think the market just turned core, you know, and, and the mass market wasn't really involved in the consoles as much. Um, And I think both Sony and Microsoft have been trying to get more broad appeal, you know, Microsoft with their subscription strategy, Actually, you know, Sony does never tries to get more mass market. <laughs> They're just living in their own like dream. I, for you know, sorry, I, I, it's a tangent here. But but can Sony's marketing team please stop sending out these market these these TV advertising that caters only to like the most niche niche people in the industry? Like these these ads are like probably cost millions and millions of dollars to make, but they do not. They're not inclusive to anybody but the super core gamer right and that's the way their marketing has been for the last decade you know it'd be nice to like try to attract a broader audience with both content and marketing um what, what are you talking about is there like a tv ad that's yeah that, that's that tv ad in which like some you know like total gamer bro is killing everybody around and like you know and going from one core experience to the next you know i don't know it's the stupid same fucking ad they've done for years it's really ridiculous and i know who does it too um and it's like just stop you know try to try to think so think out of the box a little bit anyway all right, that's my last 
thing. Okay. Uh, we are in full holiday mode. I don't know if anybody noticed. <laughs> Black Friday just happened. So the, my job gets a little bit harder trying to predict what's happening. I'm telling you, things are not so good out there. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be 100% right on this holiday. Um, it looks like everything's relatively weak except for sports, right? So Madden, sorry, Madden, FIFA, and NBA 2K are doing great. But uh, we're not seeing this same type of engagement on um, on Call of Duty and Battlefield's struggling a bit. So I hope things pick up in December because I'm getting a little worried. Um, but <laughs> I don't. I are don't, you seeing it? I, I I just don't understand why this Call of Duty game is the is Call of Duty World War II. It's the exact same game. Like the single player uh, campaign is almost the exact same. I mean, it's like they've added, you know, some some you know narrative uh, exploration to this version. But like this game is, I feel like I'm, you know, three years ago or whatever playing Call of Duty World War Two. <laughs> I, I'm with you, dude. I am. Yeah, with you. I, I really, I really didn't play this just Call of Duty all that often. I'm more excited about Halo Infinite, but I, I still think that I don't know that there, there is something going on in PC console where there is decreasing engagement. Yeah, um, and I, do you think that the effects of COVID are just wearing off, or or what is this? Sorry, you know, I I I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I am a little bit worried. Um, but then again, like by all measures, I've seen Halo is being is really successful. It looks like a lot of people are playing Halo, and I was, you know, like if you look at Twitch viewership, we you know some Xbox stats we look at. And it seems, I think maybe it's taking a little bit of a bite, at least on Xbox and PC, of course, out of Battlefield and Call of Duty. But that wouldn't explain the overall weakness. Um, and, uh, you know, Halo also hasn't done the single-player experience till on the 8th. So so it looks like I might be a little bit wrong on this, but it still remains to be seen as if act this actually pulls people away from Sony. But, um, but still, I think, you know, Halo is definitely capturing um, lots of interest out there. Uh, and and then again, maybe this is a hardware problem, right? Where we just don't have enough hardware to really, you know, this is basically the the transition year in which, you know, because hardware is not available, we're not getting as many people back into the ecosystem as as we would hope. Um, and maybe that improves over December, and then hopefully next year we have better hardware. But this is a little bit worrisome. And then again, what I am hearing though specifically, and I, and obviously I don't want to talk about this too much, but like is that while the while the quantity of people are playing, the quality of people that are playing is really high. So we are not seeing as many people come back to the ecosystem, but those that are, are spending a lot of money. So that, that's particularly true for Matt, uh, the sports franchises. So we shall see. Um, I was um, just speaking of the hardware shortages. I was I was at a party and when I was in, I was in New York a couple weeks ago and I was at this party, um, and I met this guy who his business is to buy ps5s uh from canada and like sneak them into the u.s and sell them at like marked up prices um and i i think business was like booming um and then he, he turned me on like he was like yeah you should discover this there's this community on facebook where i sell these you should discover it and i, I can't remember the name right now but it's just full of all these like hustlers like people that do that but for everything like there's people that like flip like like week long vacation packages and watches and all this stuff. And it's just community of just hustlers just buying and reselling stuff. 
that's some bottom feeding shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, unbelievable, dude. I was like, hey, man, get away from me. I've got, uh, yeah, I've got dignity. I work in free-to-play gaming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Like, it took like a few milliseconds to figure that one. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, or NFTs. Um, yeah. All right. And, 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 hey, and advertising, too. Yeah, right. <laughs> Most deceptive business ever. Um, the next one is uh, Riot shared more information about their Project L, and I would consider this a 2D fighting game. Maybe it's 3D. I don't know. It seems 2D to me, but whatever. What do I know? Kind of a cell shaded, or maybe not cell shaded. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing. I'm just, just being a jerk. But anyway, it's a fighting game based on characters from Utera. Um and it looks pretty, and it looks interesting. You know, it looks like they're doing, looks like a fighting game, right? But um, you know, success in this type of space is far more challenging, and and frankly, a little bit harder to predict because it's so niche. You know, I mean, the the, the amount of people that play fighting games is so small that um, you know, the the chances for like an outsized outcome seem small. But what what do I know? Uh, but they will leverage their IP and bring it to a huge install base of players, and the you know and the game looks reasonably good. Um, but you know, not sure if they actually bring like the super core players, you know, away from you know Street Fighter and and other competitive type games out there, um, or can they actually attract a more mass market type game uh, audience? It's just that this this genre has fallen off so dramatically from the yesteryears of the 90s and 2000s um but you know it still has a loyal like hardcore following so if they can actually attract that audience they can get some spend going if they if they monetize um but i think it's kind of an uphill battle this is not like valorant which is basically selling to a gajillion people that play shooters right this is much 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 more challenging um and what is the deal with tom and tony did you know these guys they're like twins they're identical twins and they're both making this game right and they, they're on this update video and it's fucking creepy dude and i'm a twin right i'm an identical twin if me and him were here talking about this bullshit it'd be fucking creepy right my brother mark right but i i, I don't know I, I i actually i if as a twin i would avoid that right because it, I, it creeps me out and i'm a twin so anyway i don't know what that <laughs> that marketing strategy about but they are identical they both have like jet bald hair i mean jet bald whatever jet they're both jet bald or whatever the expression is like and and they look identical it's 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 scary anyway that that i don't know if that's a good look um so i know a lot of people listen to this riot so sorry ahead of time they seem like nice guys though just generally speaking and more power to the twins all right what else any other updates yeah i've got some uh some updates no uh no no anti-twin hate for me though i love the twins very supportive of twins working together. <laughs> Eric, Eric doesn't speak for all of us with his uh, anti-twin sentiment. Dude, you watch that video and tell me <laughs> what you think. <laughs> anyway, uh, so a uh, couple of uh, f- fundraising uh, announcements. One is a Sneaky Panda raises $6 million in seed funding round. Um, it's a quote from Ron uh, Rajwan, uh, who was uh, previously the former, uh, he was previously the co-founder of Jelly Button Games. He said, and he's, he's a co-founder of Sneaky Panda. He says, the mobile gaming market is saturated with companies that are trying to make better versions of existing products. But our approach at Sneaky Panda is to introduce the luck puzzler genre, a completely new genre that puts more emphasis on skill and strategy than current mobile games in the market. Uh, really excited to see what they come up with. I think this is uh, another proof point that Tel Aviv is the uh, new 
epicenter of games development, taking the crown away from Helsinki. Um, Jelly Button, uh, great company. I, I worked with them um, on a project a couple years ago. Really enjoyed that experience. A little disappointed I was not invited to invest. Um, any you know sort of founders out there, you're looking for seed money, pre-seed money, please uh, hit me up first. I keep seeing Joachim's name uh, in all these uh, articles. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Joachim's a great guy, good friend of mine. But, uh, you know, you're you, better. Uh, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna need someone to provide you guidance on how to scale. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that's, that's a good reason to want, to want me on your cap table. So uh, just, uh, just putting it out there. Uh, if you're hitting up Joachim, you should be hitting me up too. There's no reason you'd hit up him and not me. Um, second <laughs> announcement, uh, po- Pocket Gamer, uh, sorry, Pocket Burger Games raises $1 million in, fun- in funding round. Uh, this is a quote from Mitchell Smallman, the CEO. It's not just about being the first mover in a space. It's about finding games that should have existed by now. We're not an idea team. We're an audience team. Our goal is that every Pocket Burger game has an audience that says, finally, a game for me, and we deliver for them. So Pocket Gamer, I did invest in. So congratulations to Pocket Gamer, uh, sorry, Pocket Burger uh, on the announcement on the fundraise. Uh, I did uh, contribute to that. Uh, so looking forward to seeing some great things coming out of them. And then last um, last uh, piece of news, uh, executive behind Facebook-backed Novi crypto wallet to leave the company. So David Marcus, who runs the company's pr- crypto project, wants to pursue other projects. This is, um, I think, kind of predictable. So David, David Marcus... Uh, was uh, uh, you know is is a very well respected uh, executive. He came from PayPal, long history in payment space, and they brought him in to sort of build out this crypto project. And my sense is that all of this kind of ancillary stuff that Facebook was working on, even when they had brought in big name execs to to run these projects, they're jettisoning all of that. They're going all in on on metaverse VR. Um, I mean, I think the biggest proof point for that is that you know they appointed Boz uh, Andrew Bosworth to be the the uh, CTO. Right, and he was running Facebook Reality Labs um, as I guess like a VP or whatever for a while. Uh, but before that, I mean, he ran ads. So I mean, he, he's he, what I've heard. You know, my understanding is that he's like the most important executive in the company who you know isn't Zuck. Um, and my sense is like all of this other stuff that they were exploring, and the crypto thing always felt like a weird punt that probably was going to go nowhere. But all the stuff that they were exploring outside of of metaverse. Um, is just being, you know, thrown to the wayside, and they're all in on metaverse VR, um, and and I think you know you'll you'll probably see a lot more sort of departures like this. Chris, what do you think? No, yeah, right. I mean, you're totally right, dude. They're just doubling down on the metaverse stuff, building a platform. They're just tired of being beholden upon, you know, Google and Epic and sorry, Google and uh, uh, Apple, and and they're just going to do that. So I don't know. That's what their whole focus on. The, the amount of people that they're hiring for that group is insane, right? Yeah. So, you know, more power to them, right? Um, um, by the way, I did get an update. Did we talk about Mike Verdu and, and, and Netflix? Did we talk about that yet? I did speak to him. I don't think so. Did we? Talk yeah, about I, I, I think we did. Yeah. Oh, we did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Never mind. It, it's basically Apple Arcade 2.0. Just saying, you know, so good. For so them. you're you're fully bought in? Yep. I am bought in on their strategy because it supports their uh, initiatives to increase engagement, increase uh, subscription retention. Do you think it would be a meaningful upgrade or uplift to their subscription retention? I don't know. And I don't think it matters. Okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
they're then, gonna then hire I'm fine. Then I'm fine. Okay. They're gonna hire a gajillion people, dude. I, I I'd go work there in a heartbeat, right? Because I think they'll make the investments. But it's it's a low margin business that uh, for for the developer, and I think there's more lucrative things out there to do, but they're more more risk, right? So I think it'll be a fun place to create creative shit, right? And 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 I think that's a, needed in this industry to some degree, you know. Like like I you know and, and I, I know rock band's a bad example because it's a peripheral based thing, but creative shit like that like just isn't being built right now. Everyone builds everyone builds RPGs, looter shooters, you know, uh, fucking battle royale, right? Like it's getting old, right? So if, oh, if because they, of your advice that the genres that you keep telling us to make. I know I'm talking out of both sides <laughs> of my mouth. I understand that point, but what my point is is that this is the the way the industry is as has evolved and 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 you know for better or for worse, right? So, uh, but anyway, having a place to actually find ways of doing other creative shit, I think is really cool, you know. And so, I think they'll be successful in that in that context. Sorry for interrupting this podcast, but I got an important message. It's about increasing your game's revenues. I bet your mobile games is ready to find new, untapped audience and a juicy 40% revenue boost. Well, you can achieve global reach and acquire new players with local payment methods and exclusive content and with huge savings on platform fees. After recent events allowing developers to sell virtual items and currencies directly to players with a substantial savings on transaction fees, Exola launched WebShop for mobile games. This timely solution helps you unlock global potential and grow your mobile games beyond the App Store and unite your player community across all devices. Plus, it can also improve discoverability and boost player retention. If you're ready to increase revenue, save on fees, and then regain control over distribution, Exola Web Shop for mobile games can help you succeed. Visit exola.pro/dof or go to the link in this podcast description. Now let's take a little break from all these news and talk about consultants. You know, one of my biggest triggers in gaming is consultants. These big firms think they can manage game making with PowerPoints. They are literally the destroyers of studios. Don't get me wrong. It's not that these folks aren't smart. They're some of the smartest and highly educated people in the world. But they lack two key things, passion for games and industry experience. To put it simply, they lack context. One area that context is absolutely critical is consumer insights. As the name implies, you are trying to understand your customer and gain keen insights by asking the right questions. Without the right context, it's almost impossible to be successful. The big CI firms fall into the same trappings. Just because a firm has gamers on staff doesn't mean they know how to, what it takes to build and ship successful games. You need to work in the industry to really understand the challenges and agony that studio and marketers have to go through to bring a product to market. That's why I recommend Beta Hat. Stan Kwan and his team at Beta Hat have deep experience in the industry that provides the context needed for actionable insight. Stan's own experience includes 15 years within the gaming industry leading strategic functions at EA, GameSpot, and Ubisoft. Other research firms package up gaming and entertainment bucket or use like these old methods from packaged goods industries. Gaming is different. For game CI, you need to understand what people play, where people play, how they play, and why they play. You need to understand console, mobile, free-to-play, software as a service, subscription models. Whether it's consumer segmentation, brand tracking, concept testing, conjoint analysis, or focus testing, Stan and his team have the context to deliver exceptional insights into the gaming customer. Please reach out to Beta Hat by visiting their website at betahatmr.com. That's B-E-T-A-H-A-T-M-R.com. Now, back to the episode. Cool. Um, 
Okay, kind of a follow-up on the discussion last week. So, um, you know, last week we talked about, um, you know, we catalyzed by by some news, talked about the kind of uh, perennial uh, uh, game of tug-of-war between uh, brand marketers and performance marketers uh, and direct, resp- direct response marketers and kind of w- within the specific context of, of mobile gaming, you know, I was making the point that, you know, I don't think brand marketing is 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 the right lens to look at uh, growing an audience uh, through. You know, performance marketing needs to be the the sort of uh, the, the 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 kind of structural strategy for for growing. Now, you can you can you know utilize brand marketing um, techniques and, and brand marketing tactics within that framework of performance marketing, but it, it doesn't really work if you sort of like lead. Um, or your, your, your marketing efforts are dominated with this, this sort of brand centric view, right? That was, that was the kind of discussion that we had. Got a lot of feedback, uh, about that podcast. So a lot of people were on board with the idea. Um, actually, I, I guess it shouldn't be surprising. I mean, given the, the games centric, you know, audience of the podcast, um, and, and especially on mobile dev memo, I mean, it's you know, people that are just, you know, rabid performance marketers, um, who hate brand, <clears throat> but you know, it, it, I got a lot of, you know, feedback that was sort of supportive of that. Uh, view, but I got a couple of people that said, "Well, look, what about X? What about uh, what about League of Legends? Right? What about Supercell?" Um, and so I think you know you could you could throw out that like, "What about this particular uh, example?" Um, in any kind of argument, and I'm I'm always kind of wary of like picking one uh, you know one case that runs counter to the argument, and 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 assuming that that kind of like um, you know. Uh, uh, totally deteriorates the argument, but I think in each of those cases, you you can you can make you can make the the you can make a case for in favor of the performance marketing sort of approach, right? The performance marketing framework that drives uh, adoption and drives growth, um, even if there are some brand elements uh, that are part of that. With Supercell specifically, I mean, I would I would just I would just say that you know what you see are the brand efforts, but below the surface, there is a lot of uh, you know, performance marketing done to support these games, right? I mean, it's you just go on LinkedIn and do a search. Uh, they're hiring right now for another performance marketing uh, team member. I mean, it's it's not as if they have no performance marketing team, um, and they do spend a lot of money on on performance UA. Um, but but also, I mean, if you look at the genesis of that of of those of those brands that they've built, well, they weren't brands when the games were launched, right? I mean, and that was well, how did they get big? Well, they were right place, right time. Right, because Supercell was like kind of the first big mobile free-to-play games developer that that kind of uh, penetrated into a big audience. But also, they, their first CMO was a performance marketing guy. I mean, I knew him very well. He, he, that's what they did. They did performance UA. He he was in San Francisco. He built a really big performance marketing team, and they grew those titles and they they grew into brands. And now they can sort of um, you know they can kind of uh, drift on that on that sort of brand recognition now. But that's not to. But but also they do a lot of performance UA right now. So I, I think what you see are the big brand efforts, right? Like the the Mr. Beast um, integration or, or the the sort of IP crossover for Brawl Stars. That's what you see, right? And you see uh, you see the uh, the Super Bowl uh, commercial a couple of years ago. But but you know what you don't see is is just a lot of money being spent on performance UA, right? So like that doesn't necessarily nullify the performance marketing argument to just say, well, what about Supercell? You know, I think the other thing too. Is like it's it's always hard to use like a really successful uh, you know a, a, a company that just basically prints cash uh, as as a case for taking up any sort of like 
uh, strategic position, right? So, like, I, my understanding was this, with that with that uh, uh, Super Bowl video that it was like a couple. It was like they went on a team offsite and they were in a hot tub and like someone was like, "Hey, what if we did a what if we did a Super Bowl video?" And it's like ten million or whatever for Supercell is not that big of a deal. It, it, they could have done that and justified the expense purely as like a recruiting scheme. Like, well, we're the company that buys Super Bowl ads. Don't you want to work for us versus some other company, right? So, like, you can't really try to examine, like, what the most successful companies do and, and like, you know, kind of uh, try to package that into a strategy that you could adopt, right? There's a lot of things that Supercell can do that you can't do at random gaming company X or whatever. Um, so that's kind of my what I would say there. With League of Legends, though, I mean, I do think that if you look at the way that they systematically grew that game through... Uh, esports through like all the tournament stuff that feels to me like it was a very systematic um, form of performance marketing. It just wasn't advertising as such, right? I mean, they, they, that's how, I think that's how that business grew to the heights, the league of legends business. That's how it grew to the heights that it achieved was, was through that very systematic sort of like esports approach where they probably classified that as a marketing expense right now. They're just not splashing money around to rent out big stadiums and have however many 20,000 people come and attend that's very much a, a, a sort of marketing effort. Um, yeah, like, and I, hold on, hold on. Let me, let yeah. me just interrupt you a quick second. So when we talk about brand advertising, we're not defining, I mean, it, there's a definition issue here, right? Where we're not defining what Riot was doing with League of Legends as brand advertising, right? That's product marketing, right? There, there's a difference, right? Brand is more, you know, TV, big, broad TV, you know, campaigns and and ad campaigns around the brand of riot or even the brand of league of legends but when you throw like you know marketing dollars at these big events this is supporting the game directly as product marketing yeah, or but it, it, well, exactly that's my point but people are people are asking me like in, in response to the podcast a lot of people use well what about league of legends they don't i don't think they spend a lot of money on advertising and my point would be no but the whole esports initiative was a form of performance marketing. They had, you know, they had a model there. They understood how that impacted their business in a very right, but, systematic way. But in what context are they actually doing brand advertising? No, that's in, the point. From, right? no, other no, from their, their other yeah. people's perspective. I don't know. Is that? You, I mean, yeah. oh, okay. I, so, well, I just, so, but that's so that's that's and that's a good segue. So I wrote this article because I talked about this article I was writing in the in the in the in the show last week, and in you know that's given that that feedback i got like well people just people are just saying well look league of legends they grew without i don't think with with without a lot of performance ua without a lot of buying ad and so that must have been brand average and so that's that's kind of how i started the article no I, I, you can't you. brand isn't just whatever is not measurable right brand has a very there's a very specific outcome you're trying to achieve there and so in this article um you know that i published this week uh, it's called The Perilous Mythology of Brand Marketing for Digital Products. It was originally going to be named Brand Marketing is a Myth, but my wife yeah. told me, like, I should not do that. <laughs> Why? It's too clickbaity. That wasn't. I mean, that's not the point I'm making in the article either. Oh. Yeah, I found your your core thesis really, really important, right? It's not that brand marketing is not important. It's that it's a right. single pillar within the marketing org and that the, the head of marketing should be somebody that thinks performance-based marketing should be exactly. having a, a consolidated central marketing measure, measurement tool across all of those tenants. So for something like League of Legends, right? Esports had their own section within it, but the budget for esports fluctuates based up or down based on that marketing measurement model, right? Exactly. 
Exactly. And so, so that's, so that, and that's, that's ultimately because, because what, and the, some of the feedback I got for the article was like, oh, well, of course, no one says that's not the case. Everyone believes this. You're, you're coming up, you're making a straw man argument, but no. And, and that's going back to the <laughs> podcast. Like, you'd be shocked. Like there are people that just say, no, it's brand. I do brand marketing. And so there's no accountability. I just spend money. And, you know, I, there's no measurement to it. You can't measure it. You got, you got to kind of feel the vibe. You got to sort of like, uh, you got to, you got to sort of understand the, the, the buzz on the street. And that's what I do. And that's the thing. It's yeah. not a straw man argument. <laughs> no, it's got not. The, got that head to the pavement right on the sidewalk, feeling that buzz. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 dude, I, you know, what's so funny. Like all these issues just completely come back all the time. Right. I've been dealing with this question like for years. Yeah. Back in the, in the, 2000s like we were dealing with this tv advertising at ea in which they were spending like three or four hundred million dollars on tv advertising and i'm like where is the roi on this stuff right like and it's and they, what they said was people like jeff carp actually was what said exactly what you said it's like i just like to spend it out there you know make sure that everyone knows that this game is coming yeah, yeah. that you know and so we did this analysis of ncaa which i think i may have said this in the podcast before but i'm gonna do it one more time is that we actually looked at year over year comps, right? And we basically have a like I think it was like a ten million dollar budget for ad TV advertising for NCA. That's actually quite a bit back in that time. Anyway, yeah. and so what we did was typically we did half of it at launch and half of it during the holidays. And you see this curve of of sales, right? But instead, we've been basically spent no money in at launch, and then we spend the majority of it in holiday. And we looked at the curve, and the curve was fucking identical they sold <laughs> exactly the same amount of units in exactly the same capacity with right. absolutely no change in the curve anywhere and that is because people who buy the shit buy the shit right now nca is a very unique thing because it's the same you know it's iterative game year after year but i guess that was the only analysis that was ever done and it was still ignored because people right. love to spend on brand. They you know these marketing guys just love to have these huge budgets to go to ESPN. I remember JR used to Rick tell used to do this where he'd just be like the big swinging dick and he'd go down to like Disney and say, "Hey, we want to spend 30 million dollars here and 20 million dollars there and like and do this brand shit and it, and it's irrelevant. It doesn't it, it, it's not as not effective right in, in in a lot of ways um so i and there are lots of examples of it having some positive effect but for the most part you know in gaming i don't know i i just question whether these big brand campaigns are actually valuable at all um, but, um like to your point in your article you talked a little bit about like there's a brand marketing measurement model and a performance marketing measurement model um and that's that's the incorrect way of doing this yeah, right right um but in, I'm assuming you've walked into some companies where they've shown brand-based KPIs that don't necessarily map to, to return on ad spend because they can't, right? Like, how do you how do you then work with those those teams to figure out what the right KPIs are so that you can eventually merge all these KPIs together and actually have a consolidated measurement model? Well, that's that can be tough, right? Because so, so a lot of times, like the brand metrics will be like, well, we got we got reach, right? This is our reach. Um, and that's really all we care about. We want to make sure that people are, you know, you know, staying abreast of, of, of what's happening with our brand. And, and we're reminding them about the brand. And the thing is like, you know, it'd be disastrous to test that because if we just cut spend, well, what happens if there is a correlation and we'll lose a lot of money? You don't want to be responsible for that. Do you? I mean, like, it's like, okay, well, we can do specific market holdouts and stuff like that, but fine. Uh, like, you know, the, the problem is, 
you know, there's rot at the top. It's not that that person, you know, that person is, is has bad incentives and it's really, it's, it's just more fun to be the person blowing a, a ton of cash on some, uh, on TV ads and you get treated to like nice dinners and you get to go out and, oh, we, we can, you can walk in the Macy's day parade, Thanksgiving day parade if you want, or, you know, why don't you come to Rockefeller center and, and we'll get you tickets to SNL and all that kind of stuff happens. You know, the traditional media world is like just a gift giving frenzy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, so it's cool to do that. But but again, like it, unless there's there's some accountability at the top where it's like, no, you've you've got to really prove the value of this and and at least give me a model that seems credible. Like, well, then there's never going to be any motivation for these teams to do that. Right. And so it's just like, well, look, we reached this many people. And that's really what we're optimizing for is to just make people aware of what we're doing. Yeah, you want to hang out with Ogilvy in like you know the the, the fucking box seats of the Nets, the, the Knicks or something. Yeah. Anyway, I, I dude, I I think this, and then hang out with the creatives. Actually, the creatives were really cool. I I, got, I actually got set in some really cool meetings with creatives about ideas for adding ad, and it's it's fascinating. It's a fascinating industry. Um, I just I think it's somewhat valueless. Um, well, no, context. those people are cool, man. They wear cool clothes. They got cool haircuts. <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Like I come in there, you know, look like a nerd and, and I get it. Like, I understand, like it, it, I, I wanted to spend money with them just so I could hang out with them and maybe some of their you know cool aura would rub off on me. Um, but it's, you know, that's, 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 that's the, that's the allure, right? It's just that I remember one time we, I did this like very small test, um, with the BBC. And so I went down, you know, we were, and, and it wasn't even like, it wasn't even like uh, TV ads. It was like, they had an app. And so we're going to buy some inventory there. And so I met with their ad sales team. And they let me walk around the studio and I got to sit in the chair and I got a photo of myself like sitting at this desk where the guy reads the news every night. And they, they brought like the lead anchor from, uh, you know, from one of the news shows and he led me around and and it was cool. Like it was awesome. I couldn't believe that they were letting me do that. But like we tested, it didn't work and I never renewed. And like they were emailing me for like <laughs> years. Uh, but it's like, sorry, I've got, you know, it's got to work. I've, you know, I loved walking around the newsroom and sitting in the chair, but I'm not going to give you a lot of money just to do that again. So, <laughs> has anybody actually done the calculation for that Mister Mister Beast video about what the CPM would have been for that? I mean, so that and the other problem is like we don't know how much it cost, right? So, like they got. I was reading that um, the installs three point five x or no four point five x. So what, three. Though? Well, yeah, exactly. And then so it, they hit it hit like number two or three in games on the chart, but it's back down to, so that's the thing. I mean, this is just a, it was a very ephemeral boost, right? So it's back down to like number 20 something, uh, in games. So, I mean, you know, I don't know who knows if that was profitable, but, that, but that's the point. I don't think you could look at supercell doing something where they probably don't have to do this kind of stuff and be profitable. Right. I don't know that there's probably not that requirement for these kind of projects because they have so much money and they make so much money. It could be that their market team gets to just do stuff like this and test it out. So I don't know that you could look at that and be like, well, that's a that's a that's a prototype for a, a successful marketing campaign. Who knows? We don't know how much it costs. Mr. Beast said it cost three point five million and Supercell funded it, but I don't know if he is. I don't know if that is accurate. I, I don't think it is. Yeah, I mean, I I don't even actually see much change in Brawl Stars on the revenue side. Well, that, you know, that's the other piece. You 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 know, you create a lot of awareness and you get a lot of installs, but. You know, if they're just sort of like buck, you know, like kind of buckshot, you know, outreach. It barely, it barely moved the needle on at revenue. Jesus, like, what do the people 
What 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 is everyone getting hot and bothered about? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, all right, but I want to be clear on this point. Just just I know this is a very obvious point. I'm not talking about brand advertising for things like fucking Colgate and like Crest and all that other those type of brands. Like that makes a difference. Like there's no no doubt. Right. Like that, that, that's what those things are built upon. Right. Why, why you pick one thing over another is based upon your perception of that brand. Right. Like the whole Burger King McDonald's argument. Like if you ask, you know, one out of what was it, three out of four people think that Burger King tastes better than McDonald's. Yet Burger King sells like a quarter of what McDonald's does. Some kind of like thing like that. I, I brand matters. Right. There's no there's no doubt on things I for interactive and entertainment, particularly free to play like there's there's really no place in my opinion or it's a, a part of right. the broader stat strategy i just want to be clear on my, my my thinking there and and even for video games in general i question whether or not um you know these ad ad big ad campaigns really are, are relevant to a market which is relatively fixed um in terms of its audience um so anyway um what else we haven't That's put it. any we haven't put any shade on on so, all right, I'll put some shade on Mr. Mishka, right? <laughs> so his comment at the end of that the podcast, last one, I just can't ignore this. I have to, I have to get this <laughs> off my chest, right? Garena, yeah. do not spend any fucking money on advertising, right? Brand advertising. That is a ridiculous assumption. You are a performance-based company that does amazingly well in, 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 Many many regions in which we uh, many companies are struggling. I, you guys are really successful. Do not listen to Mr. Mishka because that makes no effing sense whatsoever. And I don't know. It's like Mishka wasn't listening to the whole podcast, and at the end he just throws out this like thing, like, "Oh yeah, yeah, of course that's correct." But no, that is not correct, Mr. Mishka, and you were not listening, or you're not correctly interpreting what we're saying. Um, so anyway, I just want to throw that out there. Um, Anything else? Got nothing. Anybody playing anything? That's the one thing we don't do. Do you guys play any games at all? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Let's go, ahead. go ahead, Al. I got, well, I just I downloaded um, Call of Duty Vanguard, and I just it's the single player is trash. It's garbage. It's the exact game. I mean, we were talking about this before, but like, yeah. it's the exact same game from Call of Duty World War Two. I mean, it's there's nothing different about it. It's so weird that they released this. Like, why do they? I mean, I guess they're, they are running out of like iconic wars, right? But yeah, I, I, I wish. I mean, I've always said that World War II is just not the right theme. World War One's even worse because that was just not, not a fun war. <laughs> wars are fun, but uh, next year they have the hero skew from Treyarch, right? So it's going to be a Black Ops skew that's going to be like modern. So I'm hoping they can rekindle the success is on Infinity that. Infinity War just never. Building another game, they're just going to focus on Warzone then. You know, I don't know. I, I well, Infinity Ward is due up for the next year, right? So yeah. So, but so is next year Infinity Ward or is next year Treyarch? Next year is Treyarch. Because last year was was Infinity. They just used nope. the Black Ops name. Really? Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So so anyway, yeah. So the, and I think Treyarch's had like three years in development, and and. And to be clear, like it's all hands on deck on these Call of Duties, right? Everyone's working on it, right? You know, yeah. like Raven and, and all this other stuff. So it's just a question of what the theme is um, that matters, I think. And uh, yeah, World War II is not that popular. Um, all right, what else? You playing anything, Adam? Uh, well, playing Halo Infinite, just the the beta, which I enjoyed, uh, the free play multiplayer stuff. 
Um, besides that, yeah, there really has not been any like amazing games out, right? Like I, I, I played a bit of Guardians of the Galaxy in October, but uh, wasn't. Oh, was that any good? It wasn't really my thing. I guess I, I'm just a bit tired of that formula. And then um, I actually just went back and started playing like Dark Souls and Zelda again. My just what I do. It's just as soon as there's nothing else to play, I go back to Dark Souls. <laughs> uh, and then on mobile, of course, there's just a whole bunch of research stuff. I picked up the Rocket League Sideswipe this week. Um, and from gameplay perspective, I think they, they made a great core game experience, but I don't think they know what the business model is. <laughs> I'm sorry. Those are tough. Uh, I, I don't really see that how that game is going to grow. Um, but yeah, really, there, there has not been a lot for for big games to pick up and play. It's just kind of old haunts of CCRPGs and regular research. Yeah, I'm, I'm still playing Puzzle Combat. I don't know why, but I'm appointment mechanic addicted to that, and I've spent hundreds of dollars, ridiculous, for a game that's kind of dead. As Zynga falls off a cliff, dude, that stops at like $6, dude. Oh my God, terrible. Um, did you, you know play I, the uh, PUBG new thing, new state? Did you play it? Oh, I, I booted it up. Dude, that game is a fucking train wreck. I, I, it is unbelievable how poorly that game is doing. Did we talk about, I guess we talked about this last week, but the numbers yeah. just get worse and worse and worse, right? They say they have 40 million downloads. They're generating like, you know, nothing in revenue relatively for such a big game. It's crazy. I don't know how they fix that, dude. So yeah, I booted it up, but I mean, I, I'm just not a big fan of those games on on mobile, right? I'd rather play it on on PC, right? Um, so I mean, we'll see if they find an audience or they start doing some better monetization. Uh, but I just think they're they're churning out. I don't think people are playing. <laughs> I don't know, dude. It's it's really scary because it's so far below. I mean, they were expecting to do a billion dollars in a year, right? I mean, that's what I think the company's expectations. They're, they, if they get to like a hundred million, it'll be it'll be it'll be a, a prayer, right? I, I it, no, it won't even be close. I, but whatever, I guess I'll keep tracking. And then I'm I'm gonna play Final Fantasy, dude. I'm getting I'm going back. Once that the comes Final out, Final Fantasy Seven or the the Battle no, Royale thing, the MMO, no, the MMO, dude, fourteen. Oh, Final Fantasy. There's so many yeah. Final Fantasy things. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. 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 I'm gonna you get know, back I, into it. I played seven, the re, the remake um, or the re-release, or whatever, and I just like because I was so obsessed with that game when it came out originally. I mean, I was like in junior high or whatever. I just couldn't get into it. Like it was so slow. I just was really bored playing it. I, I couldn't <laughs> imagine how I was so obsessed with it because you know in the original one they had like a they they told you how many how many hours you had played the game like cumulatively and it was some insane number like hundreds uh, and and then you know I played I played the re, the remake and I was like uh, I don't I'm not into it anymore. Uh, I started playing Royal Match by Dream Games. Have you played that? Oh out? no, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that like that they, they just I mean that's basically like puzzle you know puzzle game to perfection i mean like they they, they just they, they perfect that should be like in a museum they perfected <laughs> the puzzle. no they really did and i've i've heard so like i guess they had a they they published some data recently that their day 30 was like 16 percent yeah dream games royal match leads match three day 30 retention at 16.5 percent and that's from app annie so I, I mean it's probably directionally correct right but like in the ballpark but that's that's insane um, and I heard a rumor about how much money they're making, and it's just like mind-boggling. All right, I'm gonna have to. Check I always this found out. it interesting because, like, with Dream Match, they focus so much on I play- the feel of the core gameplay and yeah. like uh, objective design, like level design. Yeah. And um, like thinking back to our time at, at Wooga and and talking with a lot of developers in the Match Three space, 
I guess there's always been this like scratch in the back of your mind of not focusing so much on art and visuals and focusing much more on meta design or progression right. or trying to innovate right. there. And this really challenges that notion, right? That yeah. really like to, to build up the best retention in the space has nothing to do with meta. It has all right. to do with level feel. Because even Playrix's games have all done this incredibly well. Right, right, right. As an analyst in this space, I just cannot believe at the unsatiable desire for puzzle games. <laughs> like, I thought this peaked out with Candy Crush, I'll be honest. I feel like half a moron, right, when it comes to this sort of thing. This, I don't, this, I don't has, under- been, this has been forever, right? Like, you think back to real yeah. arcade, right? There's always been another match three game. And I know right. there's Bejeweled 3 was the monster then. Right. Um, but still, there is always another match three game. I know, but yeah. once, can- once Candy Crush went from, like, once every two weeks to once every week, like content cadence and 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 improve their monetization, improve their live ops, and and really like optimize that audience. I thought that was it, man. Like we're done, right? They own this market, right? And then there's like a gajillion people that have come out since then, and and the market's grown. It's not like it, it you know. It, I would expect King to fall. I mean, they haven't grown very much relative to the market, but they're but still growing, and yet they're layering on additional layers of puzzle games on top of this. Like it's what, what audiences are they finding? You know, like anyway, I, sorry, I am, I'm so out of, out of touch with the, with this market that I focus more on the core stuff, but Jesus, there's there's just some of these genres, right. That like shooters, like match three, four X, maybe CCRPG on mobile, that there's always an appetite for another one. Right. It's and then there's other ones like Pokemon Go and AR that there's there's room for one of the top. Yeah, Flash Royale. Yeah. There's one at the top and that's it. And I, I I would love to see objective analysis or like some proof or thesis about which genres is that gonna be, right? Um Well, well my my theory on 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 match three puzzle and I, I kind of formed this this theory playing Royal Match, right? Because it's just done so well. And the look of the and look and feel of the game is 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 um uh, is so like exquisite, right? That my my belief is that what happens in that genre is you just have people that that's the game they play match three, they play puzzle games, right? That's what they do, and they sit on the couch and they play them every night. And when they're ready for a new one, they go and they download five, and they spend like ten. Because because the other thing about Royal Mash is it's very lightweight on monetization, and like the kind of you know the the sort of like popular wisdom, the sort of like the design principle with match three is always well you got to front load monetization because that's 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 where you capture uh, the vast majority of LTV. The LTV curve shoots way up in day one, and then it, it starts to flatline very quickly. Versus like a core game, which is more of like a slow burn uh, for like the high LTV uh, segment of the audience. But match, but Royal Match is so lightweight on monetization that my belief is. When you get these people and they're ready to try, the, they're ready to go to the next puzzle game. They download five. They they just open it up at the play for ten seconds, and they like know immediately whether this game is going to be the next one they play, right? And so they'll play number one. It's like now nah, this sucks. Then close it and delete it. Play number two. This sucks. Close it, delete it. And, the, and you get like ten seconds to convince them that this is the game that they're going to play for like the next six months. And Royal Match does that so well that they're like, boom! All right, uh, this is the game I'm playing for the next six months. Let me load up on gems. Let me buy the biggest gem package. And that's where you get that monetization really early. Because I imagine their LTV curve looks like every other match free curve, which is like, it just shoots up. It goes almost vertical day one. Um, and, you know, or it goes vertical day one. And then it's it just like slowly tapers. My sense is it's because people just know, like, this is the game I'm going to spend the next six months in. I'm going to load up on gems. And, and and there's no more exploration for me. That's that's kind of my new theory, having played this game and, no, and kind of having a, a sense of how much money they're making. It, it must be something like that. 
I mean, yeah, they're already sitting at over $10 per download in the U.S., right? Which is fucking, that's huge. I mean, they, they did, it came out in March. <laughs> no, like, okay. I think sorry, that's... I, I've got a hard stop. Um, oh. So, <laughs> sorry, I gotta uh, go. All right. No worries. All right. Well, until next week, I guess uh, we'll bring uh, Mr. Mishka back and see what the slush was all about and how much nonsense he got into. Um, but <laughs> I guess we'll call it. All right. Later, well, Eric. Later, Eric. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Twig number 160. All right. See you.